Crystal Oliver. Um, I have three kids, uh, Dean, Amelia, and Darian. And my name is Andrew Oliver, and we uh, moved to Spokane about 10 months ago. One of our greatest struggles uh, in our life happened about a year and a half ago. And my work took us away from, or took me away from our family. And I finally got to this, this dark point in our lives that I don't even think that it wasn't, I told him I'm not in love with you anymore. And I don't even think that that's really what it was. I just didn't have, I didn't have a way of expressing to him my fear of him being gone again. And I was scared to tell him that I just couldn't handle it anymore. When Crystal told me she was falling out of love with me, it was devastating. Um, it was probably my lowest point of my entire life. Him being gone all the time and knowing that it wasn't gonna ever stop, and all the moments that he was missing that I was doing by myself, and I basically felt like a single mom. So I leaned in to God in some old habits. The only thing I could possibly think of was to go to the church. What led us to North Church was actually just us waking up one morning and saying, we're gonna go find a church. Yeah. And we tried a few in the area and North Church just felt right and it felt like home. We started feeling like family at the church and we were going regularly, but we were also building relationships. And we were building a relationship with God in our life too. And instead of just reacting like we normally would, we would just take the time to do nice things just because, and we wouldn't expect anything of one another. And we were just more able to just take a breath and listen. God was driving him to just love me more. And in turn, I started loving him more. And it was just like that driving force that God was saying, just love, just love. Yeah, and both of us loving God more. Yeah. And that, I think those three things, loving each other, uh, loving God, and having all of that at the center uh, was the transformation. Crystal came to me and said, um, I think I'm gonna get baptized. And then our, our son also looked at us and was like, I totally get this. And we kept asking him over and over again, and he completely understood. And so Crystal looked at me and goes, I think, I think me and Darian are gonna get baptized. It was so powerful to me. Inside though, I was reserved, and I honestly wasn't sure yet. And then I was driving in the car, and I started crying completely, driving to work, and uh, it was, I knew what it was, and so I screamed it as loud as I could in the car um, that Jesus was my Lord and Savior. And it, I told Crystal that night that uh, I think we should all get baptized together. I baptized my wife. Um, that was probably one of the more, aside from our wedding, that was maybe one of the most powerful experiences of my entire existence. <laughs> <I think. laughs> my decision to get baptized was me saying, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior, and I love you, and I want you in my heart. And I think that me deciding to get baptized in a, as an adult was my decision to give that to the Lord, for the Lord to give that to me. And I think that was really important. Life after this experience has been, um, a, it's been a starting point now. I feel like we are springboarding off from coming through this dark period in our lives, finding salvation, and then springboarding forward into um, 
volunteering within our community, within the family that has become North Church and has become um, the community around us. And then for me, obviously, using the talents God has given me within our worship team here at North Church, um, and then also publicly professing what, what we've experienced. Helping others. Helping others go through exactly what we did. We want, we want to share that, and we want to spread that good news. And I don't know any better way to do it than that. Love that story. So appreciative to Andrew and Crystal to just open their heart up like that for us this morning. And um, it just reminds me of the power of Easter, the power of Jesus, because religion didn't change them. Going to church didn't change them necessarily at all. It was Jesus who changes people. Jesus is the one who, when he gets a hold of our life, when he reveals himself to us as God, something dramatic happens every time. And I love the fact that God is still changing people. He's changed my life, hundreds in this room. He's changed your life, and there are others who he's wanting to change your life today. Well, when, when Jesus becomes real, um, it's very hard to be subdued about it. Let me just be honest. I mean, it's hard to kind of be beat into submission and be timid and quiet and just be, you know, kind of behave. Um, because when he changes your life, I mean, it makes you want to respond with some noise. And I want to talk about making noise this morning. Uh, we've already made a little bit of noise. I, hopefully you've been having fun. Uh, but beyond fun is that we have been connecting with God that we've been worshiping God. And that's one of the first ways that we make noise is in our worship of God. L look with me, if you will, in the book of Matthew, chapter 28. And here's what it says. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow and for fear of him the guards trembled and became like dead men but the angel said to the woman women do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified he is not here he has risen as he said Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he had risen from the dead. And behold, he is going to go before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell the, the other disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. After Jesus rose from the dead, these two women realized that Jesus was more than a mere man. Jesus wasn't just a, you know, a, a sensei. He wasn't just a rabbi or a teacher, a prophet, but he was God. And it created and invoked within them this response to worship him. And they grab hold of his feet and they begin to worship. I love verse 9. Verse 9 cracks me up. Because, uh, you know, 
Jesus, after his life and after his death, the gruesome death on the cross, and then he's buried in this tomb and he's bloodied and beaten. And this huge stone is put in front of this grave that's hewn out of the rock, guards posted around, and he rises from the dead. You, you might think that that would freak a few people out, you know? And he comes up to these two Marys, these, these two women, and he taps them on the shoulder and he says, greetings. You know, I, that just cracks me up. Good morning, howdy. I don't know, I guess it's better than boo, you know? <laughs> I'm so glad that God didn't come to scare us, he came to save us. He didn't come to, to invoke and impose rules and regulations on your life to make sure that you live a boring life. He came to free us from ourselves so that we could live a life filled with purpose and direction. And so Mary, the two Marys, worship him. And it wasn't pretty, let me just tell you. It wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, poised and pretty with a moment of silence. They were screaming. They were crying. They grabbed hold of his feet and they began to worship him. And the scripture is clear that you worship no human being. You, we do not, we are not permitted to worship human, and I don't care how good they are, how many great things they've done for society, you can only worship God. And that's what they were doing. They were worshiping God with abandon. Can I ask you, when is the last time you worshiped Jesus with abandon? Because he's God. When you didn't care about anybody else around you and you just worshiped him. Eli, my little grandson, whenever I, he's four years old, and whenever I see him, he sees me, and it can be across the room, and he, his eyes get big, he gets this big smile, and he starts running as fast as he can to get, and he's yelling the whole time, Papa! You know, it's like a moment. <laughs> he's in love, I love him. And, and then we'll, we'll embrace, and I saw him just a couple weeks ago, he's in the auditorium, there were people milling around, and he did that, that very thing, he saw me, Papa! And he runs up, and he grabs me, and he goes, let's play tag. <laughs> And I'm looking around at other people and I'm going, all right, let's play tag. And so we ran around all these chairs playing tag, you know? It's because love does that. When, when you love someone, you don't really care that much about what other people think of you. And our love for God, it comes out in worship. And worship in the scripture has so many different forms to it. We worship God through music, through loud music, through soft music. We worship God through dancing and jumping or clapping. The scripture shows us that. Raising of hands, praying, giving, kneeling, laying prostrate. So many forms of worship, but one thing that they all have in common is that they are to come from an honest heart. Not to impress anyone else. An honest heart of love. For the God who saved us. And when it comes from that place in your heart, whichever form it takes on, it's authentic, it's real, and it blesses your Father in heaven. Sometimes you just gotta make some noise. You know, another time you gotta make some noise is when you need a miracle. I have found in my own life when I'm desperate, it's in the points of desperation 
that again, I, I, it just it, it invokes a response within you. You know, when, when you need a relationship restored, when you need a mountain moved, a circumstance changed, when you need healing from a disease, when you need a provision in your finances, when, when you know that nothing else will do but a miracle, doesn't really matter what other people think. What matters is that we cry out to God in that place of desperation and we ask God for a miracle. In Luke chapter 18, we see this very thing. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. Now beggars in that time in Palestine, they were very common. People uh, who weren't able to work, they would beg. And it was expected that you gave a little bit towards, towards them and, uh, and to their need. And so this guy probably had his little street corner charted out. He had a sign. He couldn't see, but he could hear. And he knew that somebody important was coming. To, matter of fact, he knew that Jesus was coming. And so the scripture tells us that when he heard the noise of a crowd going past, he asked what was happening. And they told him that Jesus, the Nazarene, was going by. And so he begins shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And when this man cried out, Jesus, son of David, he was acknowledging Jesus as Messiah, the, the, the coming king, the one who would deliver Israel, the one who delivers us. And, and everyone else is embarrassed by the guy. Let's be honest. I mean, here's this kind of guy. He's probably pretty stinky and unkept, and he's making a scene. He's socially completely inappropriate, and he's yelling. And they say, be quiet, shut up. The people in front of him yelled, but he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. Have you ever been in that place of desperation, crying out to God for something that only a miracle will do? Something within this guy, just faith rising up from within. And Jesus saw it as faith. He didn't just see it as an annoying guy. Ah, I guess I got to stop and talk to this guy. No, he saw it as faith. He was willing. This guy was willing to break cultural rules. This culture we live in tries to silence us. Let's be honest. The culture wants to silence you. Make sure you just live your faith very quietly, very privately, very under control. Make sure you don't ruffle anybody else's feathers. Matter of fact, when other people's values differ from your own, you're supposed to embrace their values, right? When, when the culture demands tolerance for everything, if you know, you're supposed to just acquiesce and go along, right? This culture we live in wants to shut you up. And the question is, will you let it? I love this guy because he breaks the rules in front of everyone, doesn't really care, doesn't give a rip about other people's thoughts about him. I'm not saying he didn't care about others. He didn't care about their thoughts towards him in that moment. And when Jesus heard him, he stopped. He stopped and he ordered that the man be brought to him. And as the man came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. And then Jesus said, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. This was a miracle triggered by this man's faith that could not be held silent. Now, I realize sometimes God just does things for us 
Sometimes he just performs miracles without anything on our behalf, right? He just does it. But more often than not, he's looking to us to participate in the miracles he wants to do by us rising in faith, stepping up in faith, stepping out in faith. Maybe you saw this, uh, this photo on Facebook, if you're a Facebooker, it was on last week, got over 430,000 views, kind of went viral. Three baristas at a Dutch Bros in Vancouver, Washington. And uh, what happened is this lady drove up to order her coffee through the drive-thru, and um, one of the baristas noticed that she was breaking down, that she was really distraught. And as he inquired, he found out that her husband had just died the night before. He's only 37 years old. And so he said, you don't have to say another thing. We, we, we've got this. And so all three of the baristas stopped what they were doing. They came over and they reached out of the window and they began to pray for her and exercise their faith and just pray God's blessing, God's healing, God's comfort for a miracle in her life. And I guess it went viral because when people saw it, it just creates this reaction within us that goes, wow, that was really bold. That was really risky of them. I mean, have you ever been in a drive-in waiting for the person in front to go? You know, three guys having a prayer meeting doesn't impress me, you know? And yet, and yet they didn't care. They risked it. They risked what might happen. You know, the angry email from somebody important who writes to their boss. They, they just risked it all to meet a need in the moment, to reach out in love, and to pray with faith. God gives us those moments in our life, those divine moments. Today is a moment. You're here because God brought you here to say that you matter to him. He wants you to know that he loves you. He wants you to know that he loves you so much he sent his one and only son to die for you. And so he reaches out to us. Will you reach back to him? Verse 43 says, instantly the man could see and he followed Jesus praising God and all who saw it praising God too. There's that love response again for a transformed life that he began, to, he couldn't be silenced. He began to praise God and other people saw it and they knew it was real and they began to praise God too. We make some noise by the way we worship and by the way we exercise our faith. And sometimes you gotta make some noise when you need rescue. You see, the truth is that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's perfect standard. Every one of us needs a savior, a rescuer. We can think, oh no, not me, not me. No, I got things under control. You religious people might need that. I don't need that. You know, I'm strong, I'm smart. I, I command my own destiny. And the truth of the matter is, no matter how smart or strong you are, one day, one day, your strength will fail. And no matter how good you perceive yourself as being one day, you will blow it big time, because we all do. I know, I know what it's like to be addicted. I know what it's like to be selfish in my choices to really hurt other people. I know what it's like to be trapped in drugs and alcohol. 
I know what it's like to try and place my hope in, in money and success and toys and travel just to try and somehow make myself happy. And all of those things will not bring us closer to God. Maybe somewhere along the way you got angry, you got disillusioned, you got hurt, and you become really cynical. And you see, all of that resistance only causes you to drift further and further away from God because sin separates us from God. See, being saved, getting saved, means that we quit drifting. It means that we quit trying to control every aspect of our life and we recognize that there's a God who made us and a God who loves us and a God who sent his son to die for us and we place our faith and our trust in him. Let me illustrate it this way. When I was a kid, about seven years old, we used to go down to Mexico to Rocky Point. It's about four hours away from Tucson where I grew up. And when we would go down there, we would camp on the beach and we would be there with a couple different families and we always brought this yellow raft, this really sturdy yellow raft, and inside it had like a wooden uh, floorboard. And we, would, uh, we were given permission to go out into the ocean on this raft, even though we were like five, seven, nine years old. <laughs> we knew how to swim. And uh, mom and dad would just say, you know, as long as we're here down by the beach, you guys can go out. And so one day, it was particularly windy and storming. The waves were about four feet tall. And we just thought how cool it would be to get the raft out and go see what that was like to go over those. And so all five of us kids pile into the raft. Mom and dad are not on the beach. They're up by the tents about 100 yards away, not watching. And we were good with that. <laughs> you know, it's better to not ask permission sometimes, but just forgiveness. So we get in the raft. We go out. We start climbing over these waves. We're having fun as we're going out to sea. Well, as you might guess, when it was time to turn around and go back, we couldn't get back. And we just kept getting pushed further and further and further out, no matter how hard we rowed. And we were rowing and yelling at each other. And I mean, there was mayhem in the boat. We were ready to throw the captain overboard. And we were just, we were just rowing. And we began screaming because we were freaking out at that point because we were caught in a riptide that was pulling us out into the ocean. And, and, and we were screaming, all five of us, at the top of our lungs, trying to get our dad's attention. And I don't think he heard us, but somehow he looked over and he saw us. And so he runs down the beach, he jumps into the ocean, he swims over all of those waves about a quarter of a mile out in order to get to us. He must have been exhausted, but he, he finally makes it out to the raft. He puts the rope that's on the front of the raft, ties it around his waist, and he says, I, I've got you. And then he, he directed us, instead of trying to row back in to shore, to, to row across um, parallel to the beach to get out of the riptide. And so that's what we did. We turned the boat parallel and we started rowing and he was just swimming and he, uh, just through his own swimming and his strength and probably a huge amount of adrenaline, he got us out of this riptide and we were able to make it safely back to shore. And when I think of that story, I think of what God has done for us. That, you know, sin is like a riptide pulling us away from God, pulling us out to, to, to see, pulling us out to a dark place, to a place that's void of God, a place where, where everything's up to us. 
And then when we try to row back in, we try to break that addiction, we try to get those lustful desires under control, we try to earn our own way, make our own way, be good enough, start serving and caring for other people because now we know we're supposed to do that and maybe that'll make me right with God. And none of it really works because none of that makes us right with God. The only thing that makes us right with God is the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's why he came that his perfect sinless life would be the payment for my moral debt. And it's not what I do, it's what Jesus has already done. Do you believe that? And it's so awesome that when we receive that rescue, when we receive what God has done in Jesus Christ, that he puts a new purpose in our life and a new power to live on. And he does it because he loves you. He does it because he sees potential in you you don't see in yourself. And God says, I see that ache in your heart. I see that void in your life. I see how you're trying to fill your life with all the right things to make yourself happy. And he says, I'm, I'm waiting on you. I'm standing here. I want to help you. I've sent my son for you. If you'll just open up. If you'll just listen. If you'll just trust. Look at what God does for us when we say yes to Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 says, The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. That's what happens when we open our heart to Christ. The Spirit of the living God comes into you and lives in you. And He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. That life is a life that's transformed. That life is something brand new. That life is different than the direction you're headed in. Now, how do you get to know God? Not through religion, not through rules and rituals and regulations. You get to know God through having a relationship with his son, Jesus. That's what Easter is all about. God wants you to know him. And when you get to know Christ, he'll change your life. And I'm going to ask you in just a moment if that's your desire, if, if God is knocking on the door of your heart and you know he's speaking to you, I'm going to ask you to do something that's a little different. I'm going to ask you to stand up. I'm going to ask you to use your faith. I'm going to ask you to respond to Christ. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, he says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, you can know. You don't have to guess. You don't have to hope. Oh, maybe the good of my life will outweigh the bad of my life when it's all said and done and I'll go to heaven. No, you can know that you are saved. How? By openly declaring that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Openly declaring. That's what the scripture teaches. Openly declaring. Pushing back against culture that says, sit down, stay in your place, be quiet, make it private. The scripture doesn't teach that. The scripture says, openly declare. And God's giving us that opportunity this morning. Will you worship with your love? Will you believe with your faith? Will you take a stand for God because he's taken his stand already for you?
So I want to give you that opportunity right now. This is your day. This is Easter 2016. It's important. Don't let it slip by. If that's you, you know, I've never done that. I've never openly declared Jesus is Lord. Then I want to give you that opportunity right now. Stand to your feet. Make that your declaration. Stand to your feet and say, and, and in your standing, you're saying, I'm saying, I believe. Jesus is Lord. God has raised him from the dead. I'm saying yes to him. Good for you. Good for you. Please stay standing. Would you stay standing? Because there's others that need to stand. You've never done that. You've never said yes to God. This is your moment. Don't let it slip by. Don't, don't get caught up into what other people think. You're not doing it for me. You're doing it for yourself and for God. You're doing it as a declaration, a bold declaration. You're allowing your faith to make some noise through your proclamation, people standing all over. I want to invite those to also stand along with these who need a miracle. You're something you're going through in your life and only a miracle will do. Only a miracle will do in your marriage. Only a miracle will do for your kids. Only a miracle will, will resolve that disease, will meet that financial obligation that's looming, that pressure that's there. If that's you, stand right now. Let your faith be heard. Stand for yourself. Stand for someone else that you care about. And let's pray and believe God for a miracle. Because I don't care what this culture thinks that says, oh, God doesn't do miracles. Yes, he does. And then lastly, if you just want to make it your love response as part of your worship this morning to God, just to stand to your feet. I'm inviting you to do that as well, just as a worshiper of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we come to you and we thank you, Lord, for those that are standing and those that boldly were the very first ones to stand and just say, I'm putting a stake in the ground and Jesus is Lord and I'm going to declare it. I'm going to live that out. Lord, we pray your spirit would regenerate them. We pray you would forgive them. We know that you do. And we pray, God, that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit and that you, God, would change the direction of their life as they invite you now to be the center. God, we pray blessings.